0: Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Blister Podcast. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, the founder of Blister, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing and all of our other podcasts over at blisterreview.com. Our guest today is Dotsie Bausch, who is, among other things, a seven-time USA Cycling National Champion, an Olympic medalist, a featured athlete in the film The Game Changers, the executive director of Switch for Good, and a remarkable person with a truly remarkable story. Now, for those of you who haven't yet watched the film The Game Changers, I definitely encourage you to do so. We've included links to the trailer of the film in the show notes to this episode, and mostly I would just encourage you to watch the film with an open mind and see what you think. Now, in this conversation, Dotsie and I will be discussing a number of topics related to the Game Changers, including the work that she is doing with Switch for Good, and we also discuss Dotsie's very unusual path to an Olympic podium. As I said, Dotsie has a truly remarkable story, and I am really looking forward to sharing this conversation with you. So let's go ahead and get right to it. Well, Dotsie, how are you today, and where are you today?
1: I am hanging tough, just like all of us during this period of time, and I am in Southern California in Orange County, where I live.
0: I am really looking forward to this conversation today. We have a lot of stuff to cover, and so um, I'm going to do my best to be efficient here, which is probably not my strong suit, but um, I think to to get started... I, want, I wondered if you could take us through a bit of your athletic background and trajectory. You know, basically, what kind of sports were you into as a kid? And if you could kind of outline or trace for us, you know, this path that where eventually you ended up on an Olympic podium uh, in team pursuit, I think that would be an interesting place for us to begin.
1: Okay. Well, it's maybe the most untypical uh, untraditional route that you probably maybe have ever heard. Uh, <laughs> I didn't, didn't do any sports growing up. Uh, I grew up in Kentucky and, uh, I grew up as you might guess around horses. Mm-hmm. My uncle and my grandfather were both in thoroughbred, uh, horse training and racing. So I grew up riding saddlebreds and I did compete, but I would, I would, definitely label the horse as the athlete, not the person uh-huh. in, that, in that sport. So I guess I grew up competing. I've always had a competitive nature, uh, much more with myself than with others, um, which is really what eventually led me to um, team pursuit, actually. Uh, but it was... Maybe about, I think I started riding when I was three and, uh, and, and stopped when I went to, when I went to college at Villanova. So some good years there, good competitive years, but I didn't grow up, you know, building this incredible cardiovascular system or incredible muscular system or incredible anaerobic system. So a little, little bit different, but, uh, traversed through, uh, college at Villanova and about halfway through, I was, um, became very sick uh, quite quickly with, uh, anorexia and almost lost my life to it, went in and out of a lot of treatment inpatient and outpatient. And towards the end of that healing journey, I found I you know, it, it, like a lot of, um, addictions, disorders, diseases, it was a lot of up and down for a while. Rock bottom was a suicide attempt running out in the 76 freeway in Philadelphia in the middle of the night, um, was not obviously successful. And, Uh, That was um, a bit of a turning point. And I started working with a therapist who ended up saving my life. I had worked with many others and I just hadn't connected well. Plus I wasn't ready. Uh, So I worked with her for a good, good couple of years. And towards the end of that process together, when I was so, so much better and so much more healthy and really considered myself uh, healed I mean we, we had we had done some really deep work. Uh, she's a meditation therapist and so she she gave me a lot of tools and I worked really hard um, to get out of that and to get better. And by this point I was living out in Los Angeles. I had moved out to Los Angeles by, by, by that time and I had a deep desire and I think she knew from our very first session just to be able to move my body in a healthy way again because as part of my anorexia I had over, Exercise disorder, as many do. And so it was, you know, a very unhealthy space to be in, working out seven, eight hours a day, which is what was happening. And so um, she knew that my eventual goal would be able to move uh, healthfully again. And so she just suggested to me in one of our last sessions I want you to pick something that you don't really have any you know negative connections with right so in other words don't pick the treadmill or the stairmaster or the elliptical or the, yeah. you know those things that you sat in the gym on for for many many hours a day and so i just was like what about a, what about bicycling What if I got a bike? You know, it seems like it's sunny here all the time. I've only been here for a few (laughs) months, but but it's January and it's seventy outside. So I think riding up and down PCH and up and down the Santa Monica Mountains, you know, if I can make it, just sounds really freeing and like such a gift to um, the just the 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 confines uh, that I was living in with my eating disorder. Because I definitely got to where I just could barely move. And I, I wasn't participating in work or relationships or even being outside. I mean, I spent, you know, almost the entire time either alone in my room or alone at the gym. Uh, And so I chose the bike. So yeah, 13 years later, I was on the Olympic podium, which is just you know, just knee slapping, laughable to anyone who knew me back in those mm-hmm. days when I was sick, or even before then, I think really like that would have, it would not have added up. But I feel very grateful that I chose the bicycle because I'm well aware that if I'd chose, you know, gymnastics or beach volleyball, I would not have made it to the <laughs> Olympic Games because you have to start those, you know, when you're like four. But uh, for whatever reason, there was a, you know, there's, was, there was obviously some talent. there some, you know, some natural innate talent. And then just a deep desire to follow a dream is, you know, and I just didn't quit is really what it boils down to. And
0: so just to keep the timeline straight, when you get on a bike, I mean, that's around 1999,
1: 98, early, early 98.
0: Mm-hmm. So, I mean, almost kind of literally had not been on a bike until then. Very literally. <laughs> well,
1: I mean, I think, you know, everybody had their like banana suit yeah. bike with like the orange flag yeah. when they're 10. And, and I, I had one of those. So I've been on, I was on a bike, you know, whatever, when I'm eight, nine, yeah. 10, you know, to ride to my friend's house down the street.
0: I just assumed you rode a horse to your friend's house. So thanks for clarifying.
1: Oh, yeah, no, we're, we we lived in suburbia. The, the, the horses were out somewhere else. But yeah, no, so I don't. So I guess probably I hadn't been on a bike since maybe I was 12. Yeah you know, sort of yeah.
0: thing. So can you, I mean, again, this is, I said this up front. I mean, <laughs> this is a tough one to all encompass uh, in a, you know, something like an hour conversation, but it's it's just so interesting to me. Can, can you talk a little bit then about this trajectory from where you're like, I'm in LA, maybe I'll start biking. How quickly do you start ramping in or when along this path do you start, even finding out about track cycling, let alone team pursuit. Talk a little bit about that part.
1: I started riding, you know, on my, I bought a mountain bike and I put slicks on it and, you know, just riding around. (laughs) I know nothing. And, but I start really loving it and I decide, oh, you know, I want to do something good with this. So go into a bike shop, see the California AIDS rides, flyers. Uh, That's what it was called. I think it's called something different now. But, you know, raise money um, to fight AIDS. San Francisco to Los Angeles uh, was the ride. And you had to raise, I will never forget, it was $2,500, which literally was like Mm $250,000 to me at the time. I thought, how on God's earth am I going to get $2,500 collected from? So I wrote a letter to everyone I've ever met in my entire life. And I finally raised it and had to supplement a little bit with my... Uh, from my wallet and did that ride from San Francisco to LA on the mountain bike with the slicks, with the shock, mm-hmm. right? And everyone else is obviously on road bikes and it's not a direct route. So it's, it's about 700 miles. And during that ride, uh, I was it's pretty much near the front most of the time. And I know nothing. You know, I have no idea what that even means or, you know, and I, I did recognize that I was only, you know, riding with men. It, you know, I didn't really see many women around <laughs> during those those uh, those seven days. But we got to the end of the ride and a couple of the guys who who, who raced, not, pro, not professionally, but raced, you know, they said it's not, it's really not normal that you were on a mountain bike with shocks, mm. um, riding in the front group with us a lot of the periods of times during the days. And, and you know, you sh- maybe you should try a race or something. I was like, okay, wh- where's a race? What wh- What do you mean? Like what kind of race? <laughs> so one of them sat down and helped me and, and they said, well, I think you need to get a license. I think, I think you have to get a license from somewhere. Like, okay. You know, dot, dot USA cycling.org, uh, and got a license. And, tried my first race, which happened to be a uh, sea otter bicycle classic, mm. which, you know, back in the day, everyone knows about In that, you know, you do a lot of mountain biking on blister. That's like the mountain bike race to win yeah. or it was back yeah. then. So I did the road race there. And as a typical sea otter, uh, it was pissing rain, uh, freezing pissing rain the entire race. Uh, I almost probably injured and or almost killed half the peloton because I was so unsafe, <laughs> Uh, and by this time, this is even worse than the mountain bike with shocks by this time. I'm like, okay, I'm going to do a race. I need like a road bike. Well, someone talked me into a soft ride. Uh, so that's the, the bike. It's really a triathlon bike back in the day where the, um, you don't have a seat post. So you're like, you, you're just, you know, the saddle is connected to the top tube. So you're like bouncing around, you know, kind of up and down as you're, it's, it's a soft ride, but it has no place. Now there's rules against it. like You can't enter a road race on a soft ride, but back then you could. So, um, I was on that bike and, uh, did that race. And, you know, I remember finishing, I don't know. I finished like mid pack or something. And I went to the, to the van to warm up, um, uh, my friend's van. And I called my mom and I was like, okay, check the bike racing thing off the list. That was freaking horrible. It's the worst thing I've ever done in my life. I never want to do like, like I'm going to have to do, we got a next, next thing, next challenge. She's like, all right. All right. So, you know, two days later I was like, where's the next bike race? Like I have to make, I have to at least come to terms with what just happened <laughs> that I almost, you know, killed half the Peloton.
0: That's so funny. Okay.
1: So anyway, so then I just, you know, then I just raced again and again, finally got off the soft ride and, got a track and was proper about it. and uh, But for for my entire career, I was really pretty far behind the eight ball from a technical skill standpoint, right? Because everyone else had built their skills. Women, right, not necessarily like, don't usually start road racing as early as men, right? So So the women, you know, around high school kind of thing, you yeah. know, but I was... I was always completely freaked out in criteriums and just, you know, I it just was, it never became something that I was like great at. I just kind of like got average from a technical standpoint, I would say.
0: You kind of had that. What's the word? I mean, you had that engine, you had that, you were going to just simply be able to go harder for longer than kind of everybody else.
1: There was sure. There was definitely an engine there. I, I mean, in comparison to average everyday person, yes, there was some talent in there, no doubt. Uh, but in relation to the uh, average Olympian or u s national team member, I was I, I had a, a lot less talent uh, than what would be expected because I will never forget being at the Olympic Training Center in Chula Vista, one of my first kind of national team camps there. And doing the lactate threshold test and doing the watt bike test, and having the uh, program leaders and managers of USA Cycling in the room, and me finishing and them looking at me, shaking their heads back and forth, like, mm, this is not gonna go anywhere, you know, just like super average. And my numbers were average uh, or below average. Uh, fast forward, you know, I guess at that point, 12, 11 years, 11, 12 years later. One of those same people were still in charge at, at the Olympic Games um, to see very below average me step onto the podium. So I pretty much wanted to sh- prove him wrong for 12 years and
0: <laughs> finally did. <laughs> Re- remind me not to cross you ever <laughs> I think
1: <laughs> it really made me mad. I mean, could, you know, they could have shook their heads like when I after I left or when I turned around to get a sip of water or there would have been a lot of times, you know, it's just w- yeah, but maybe who knows? You know what? Maybe they knew exactly what they were doing and knew that that would make me crazy. And, and you know, yeah.
0: <laughs> but see, see, that's my point, though. You are talking about talent. What I was asking you about actually has nothing to do with talent. I think it's about will. Right. And, and, mm,
1: okay. Well, when you said engine, I guess I was just thinking like the
0: physical, physical no, engine. I, I, this, right, the mental, the, 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 the mental engine, right? I mean, some people have that and some people don't.
1: Well, I would, I would, I would agree. I think that is something that is really innately born in, I, you know, I've discussed this multiple times and, and, and thought a lot about it, read different books. I, I think it's really hard to Develop. I mean, it's it's if, if it's if it's in there, it can be developed, no doubt. Uh, but if it's just not innately innately in the hardwiring of your personality, right? Like what you're born with, hardwiring being right, what you're born with, and softwiring being what you learn as you go, and you can change your softwiring, uh, but hardwiring not so much. And I I think it's just. Yeah, it was just there. It was I, from when I was teeny tiny. My mom said I always wears. You know, she would help me do whatever. Here, let me tie your shoe. Let me tie your bow. Whatever you do with little girls, and I was always just like, no, I'll do it. I just really, mm-hmm. you know. So I, I think it's just, you know, it's just part. It's just part of my DNA.
0: I want to get talking to you about Switch for Good and the work that you're doing there. But just before we get there, I still want to hear a little bit more about how you made the specific move into track cycling and team pursuit.
1: Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's what a, it's just I always loved watching track cycling. You know, it's such a, it's when done well, yeah. it's such a beautiful oh, yeah. thing to behold. Yeah. I mean, you know, all of the disciplines of it. So, like I said, I was racing on the road for about 10 years and I was 34, 35 at the, by that time and I was kind of felt like I was just at the end of my career, you know, I had way surpassed anything that I ever thought I would reach as a road cyclist, you know, won some big races, whatever. And just was like, you know, that was satisfying. That was, that was such a cool journey. It's so unique. And I should probably get on with my life and, you know, find a real job. (laughs) And I was in Australia, um, which was the beginning of the road season always started in Australia and a really big race there. And I did a prologue uh there and won against all the best in the world. And I came home and my coach said, you know, I think we've really identified, you know, you've got that talent that is a mix of aerobic and anaerobic capacity. Uh, you know, I could never you know, I could, I could sprint. I was always like a queen of the mountain type of person, you know, that, that shorter distance, but I had an, an incredible amount of power, but I can never climb with the climbers if they were going to do like a 50 minute yep. climb. Right. Like that was, not, so it was more of the, so anyway, so he suggested I try p- a pursuit on track. And I was absolutely petrified uh, in every way, shape, and form. I remember, you know, I had gone to the track before to watch people race, but I, I and, and, and had been asked to get on the track, and I was like, absolutely not. I I I, I, the, I cannot understand the physics of why the tire sticks at forty five degree angle. Like I, I will not be doing that. And so the part of it was the suggestion by my coach, and the other fifty percent of it was I was so scared of it that I thought. I have got to try this. I'm not going to continue with it because it's, it's so frightening, but I've just got to even see if I can get on the track. And then at the end of the day, what drove me into that track cycling career and going was, was I was so, that fear made me feel so alive. I've never felt that alive before or after. And I was scared until the very last moment I mean, my teammates will tell you, it just, it was, you know, not down on the blue line where you race, um, or the black line, sorry, but training because you use the track, you know, you use the banking of the track and, you know, we do a lot of our flying efforts way up on the top of the track and, and come down and you do like, you know, three laps before you start just absolutely just heart pounding fear for three and a half years. And, and that's what kept me in it. I just... I loved I didn't love the feeling when it was happening, but I loved it after like kind of, you know, getting past that fear and being able to produce something for the team.
0: It's remarkable. So there is kind of I mean, I'm I'm sure there were a number of great moments, but there does kind of seem like there was this, I don't know, culminating moment, right? 2012 Olympics. I don't know. Talk a little bit about that. And then I kind of want to, I know that in the the film, The Game Changers, people, you talk about that particular race and people can see a little bit of footage. Can we also find like the whole event, like on YouTube here or something? Because I'd love to put-
1: I would imagine so. Yeah,
0: I'm going to dig for that. This is it, right? I mean, you guys come in with a pretty underdog of a team at the 2012 Olympics and, um, you have a phenomenal effort, right? Phenomenal outing.
1: We did. It was a little. It was a little bit fairy tale, storybook like you know, <laughs> that, that. That and that one moment, and then one three and a half minutes of that one moment in that one day, which is really what's so cool about the Olympic Games. You know, you can come in as as world champions and 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 come out six, and you can come in as extreme underdogs, which was certainly the U.S. team and 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 medal. You know, I, I think that's the beauty of of sport at that level. Um, so we, we did, I mean, we knew it was in there, but, but, but having it come out <laughs> that in that one moment, you, you, just, you just never really know. Um, but it was, yeah, it was, a, it was, a, the the bookies in London had his fifth at best. Um, cause, and, and we just, that first ride, that first qualifying ride, it, it, it wasn't pretty. We were talking about tracklet cycling being pretty earlier. Yeah. It was not pretty. Um, but we qualified second. Right behind the British. So that was just jarring to all the other teams yeah. below us for sure. Um, and so, you know, it was, you do qualifying for first day and the second day, you do semis and then the, the medal ride if you make it that far. And that second, that first ride on that second day in the semis where we beat Australia by eight hundredths so of a second, yeah, my husband thinks it's the best moment in sport in history. So there you, there you go. He, um. That sounds like a great husband.
0: <laughs> what that? Yep, yeah, that's that's exactly the right answer. And uh, props, props yeah. to him for that. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. All our husbands were a really big part of um, that. And um, there's a there's a documentary film about it, it that our journey. And it's called Personal Gold. Um, and it is really, it's the story of the ragtag team and the husbands uh, getting us to the Olympics. If anybody's like a super geeked out on cycling and track cycling, they'd probably like that uh, documentary.
0: So where can we find that film or where can people find that film? Sure,
1: yeah. It was on Netflix for about a year and a half and then it moved over to, like if you just Google personal gold yep. film, uh, you can watch it on Google Play Movies and TV. You can watch it on Vudu. You can watch it on IMDb. It's like $2.99 or three ninety nine, dollars depending on what you select. Okay. So pretty easy to find, yeah.
0: So, and then just to round out this story, kind of before we jump tracks to a different part of your story, I know that these days you do a good bit of mountain biking. Did you kind of discover mountain biking once you were done with Team Pursuit? Or had you been riding in the mountains, you know, while you were still a competitive uh, track cyclist?
1: No, I found it after. So I retired, you know, immediately after the <laughs> Olympic Mic drop. Um, right. So I was like, well, I did. I, I, I thought I wanted to come back in 2014. And my husband and I moved to Colorado. And I trained for three months with the team. And it was like, I, I do not want to do this anymore. So, but I did have a, okay, we're going to go again here uh, moment. But um, I started mountain biking like four years ago really mountain yeah. biking. I mean, you know, got the right bike and everything. And I don't I'm just, I just am hooked on it. I think I'm, I, you know, I'm tired of the road. I just spent so much time there. Uh, and you know, it's, it's scarier and scarier on the road with cars. I, you know, it's just not, I just don't feel like I can completely, I love cycling now and just, you know, having it be that, that space where I just, just completely escape everything. Um, and you know, you can't escape on the road cause you need to be paying attention. So someone doesn't run you over. So it's 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 kind of like a little bit still of a of an intense, even if you're going on an easy ride. So mountain biking, you know, I just feel like I can completely let go and just be wherever I want to be in my head, and I feel like I'm in control of making good or bad decisions on, you know, whether I'm going to crash or not, and what. um, And so, and I just I love how it changes every single time I go out, depending on the, the you know the the rain or the weather. You know, road doesn't do that. So it's like there's always a new little challenge out there that I haven't seen before and just exploring, um, nature. I don't know. I just dig it.
0: That's awesome. Now we're jumping tracks along this story. At some point in time, you start something called switch for good. And I think the way I want to do this is maybe give us your kind of brief explanation of just, you know, your kind of one sentence, what is switch for good. But what I really want is then the backstory how we how we got to that point and, and, and your your work there.
1: Yes. Um, it's a little bit of a David and Goliath backstory, which I can certainly share, but switch for good is, is a health and performance focused nonprofit that helps people to switch over from, you know, animal-based foods to plant-based foods. And we, we kind of specifically focus on dairy and removing, uh, that animal food from one's diet for a variety of different reasons, health reasons and performance reasons, as well as planetary responsibility reasons. Um, So, but the backstory is just, you know, as I was, you know, traversing the last couple of years of my career and starting to move over to a plant-based diet during that period of time, you know, you, you, when you, when you understand and, and really allow yourself to see the world in a new way with new lenses on, which is what happens to pretty much everybody that moves from eating animals to not eating animals you know you just become hyper aware of the marketing machine that's around you from big industry big agriculture that's selling you these products that they are going to profit from as as healthy yeah. right and as good for you and as needed so in in i did a lot of training at the um Towards the end of my career at the um, training center in Colorado yeah. Springs, the Olympic Training Center. And I just I just started to become very aware of of this intense push of dairy foods on athletes. And we've all seen it our whole lives, right? I mean, the milk mustache on yeah. athletes and celebrities. It's like, you know, that's their thing, right? Milk does the body good. And 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 I, I never remember questioning it growing yeah. up. You know, we don't we don't question uh, so much of what we should, and we don't think critically about, you know, who's telling me yeah. this? Do they have an interest in them in me believing it? Uh, and then maybe I need to look deeper and make my own decisions instead of just believing this marketing message. So I just was, I just became frustrated with the fact that there really weren't any other alternatives for repair and recovery than, than dairy foods. You know, it was whey protein and it was yogurt and it was also eggs, which isn't dairy, but, um, you know, and whatever, cheese, cottage cheese. I and mean, you know, that's literally the dairy. The dairy was pretty much the only type of food on the recovery bar at the training center there. Um, and so it just, thought that was weird and annoying. And, and, and I, and I, I was angered that the nutritionists and dietitians at the training center, you know, weren't looking deeper into, uh, science uh, because there's a lot of science. It's all on the switch for good website that tells us that dairy foods, um, are inflammatory, highly inflammatory, and they are, um, the biggest source of saturated fat in the American diet. And, uh, our number one killer, is because of saturated fat in our arteries, which is heart disease, It kills six hundred and fifty thousand people a year. So the, those connections uh, were not, you know, being shared with us. And obviously, you know, if you've watched the, the Game yeah. Changers, you can really learn, right, that how important open, clean arteries are, so that we can get oxygen to our working muscles and in the form of really great blood flow. So um, that sort of frustration being, you know, embedded in in me, and then. Fast forward 2018 to 2018, and I, I was watching the Olympic trials, which was the, the Winter Olympic trials for Pyeongchang in January, and I, there this this dairy commercial came on, right? Because I don't think I mentioned, the, the Milk Pet Board is the title sponsor to the U.S. Olympic Committee, right? United States and New Zealand are the only countries in the world that are not government funded. So the USOC, USOC has to find you know, corporate sponsors. So I do, I understand that, I, you know, you, they, they have to, they, they have to be able to, to, to raise money and find the sponsors, but you know, they'll take money from anyone, McDonald's Coke, you know, the typical Olympic sponsors, it's like clearly yeah. are not very Olympic, right? None of these athletes are hopefully eating cheeseburgers and guzzling Coke, but um, so I saw this, this, this dairy commercial that said, you know, nine out of 10 Olympians grew up drinking milk. Um, it has natural proteins and balanced nutrition, um, which is just all BS in, in, in three sentences there, like about as much BS as you can get. And the first sentence I will say nine out of 10 Olympians grew probably did. We didn't know better back in the day, as someone stated on Twitter when they saw that commercial, nine out of 10 serial killers probably also grew up <laughs> drinking milk. Like that really has nothing to do to discern what you're going to become later in life. You know, it's just like um, more of their marketing scheme. So I just felt this, this, you know, how you have those moments in life where you just have this jolt. And I just thought, oh my gosh, I just, I, I want to tell the truth. Like, I'm so sick of this. I'm so sick of them using us athletes as their proxies to sell their Mm. machine. And uh, we have to stand up and tell the truth. So I just quickly kind of got together a group of people and a group of uh, plant-based Olympians. And I was like, let's shoot a commercial and put it on the closing ceremonies of these very Olympic games. So this is, you know, I only have like five weeks to produce this whole thing and get it on NBC. Um, But that's what we did. So that was like our, that's our backstory. And that was how we got started uh, just really with that commercial. And at the time, having no idea that this might turn into a full-blown organization at all. It was just a moment in time that we said, we want to stand up here. Um,
0: Yeah. yeah. So, okay. I want to back you up though, for a second here. Um, You may have already answered this question, but I want to try to really home in and see if we can pinpoint, you know, you, you just said you were at the. Olympic training center. You're seeing, you know, the, all of the stuff being kind of pushed about dairy and the rest, but what actually gave you reason to be looking for a different, you know, diet, a different nutritional uh, approach? Had you read something? Cause like, you know, I, you know, Dotsy, I've been a I became a vegetarian like in 1999 or 2000. And I remember exactly The stuff that I was reading that first even put this on my radar as something to be considering. Mm -hmm. So I'm just curious, like you're, I, you know, I take it you're performing at a high level. Or was it that you're like, man, I'm actually not feeling like I'm I'm operating at my best right now. What What might I try different? Or had you read something? Or like, or were you really just like, man, there's this is a pretty heavy messaging right now, and I'm not sure that I'm buying all of that. Like, what was the? Can you pinpoint right. it?
1: Yeah. Yeah. None of the above. Uh, it just I, I came in through the the ethical route. Mm-hmm. It, it basically boils down to. You know, I grew up, like I mentioned, around horses, around yeah. a lot of animals. We had dogs and hamsters and rabbits and, and and fish and gerbils and guinea pigs. I mean, I just, I loved animals. I spent more time in the stall with my horse than I spent with my friends or my parents. That was my happy place. That was my space. That was, it was everything to me. I still to this day feel like I communicate better with animals than I do with human beings. Um, and it just, it just, it just, I don't know, it just came into my worldview that uh, if I love animals, so deeply. It probably is not going to include eating them. That just does not line up. So I said, Nope, I'm not going to do that anymore. So and, it just was And
0: so when, when was that decision? That was while you were at, you, you, you transformed your diet.
1: Yeah, that was like 2010 into 2009. Okay. When, when I
0: came. Down. So that it all, that already was in place. Then you got to the Olympic center and we're seeing all of the messaging and the rest do I I
1: well no no I had been training at the training centers my entire career I just mean now that I'm seeing the the world in a bit of a new way which as you know you do once you stop eating animals like then you start see it just it's you know I can you you really can't explain it you just have to go through it so now I'm just starting to to notice This intense push, right before I didn't notice it because I didn't wasn't thinking about it. You don't know, really notice things that you're not you know aware of. <laughs> so it was just like, oh, whatever. That food is food, and I'm just you know mindlessly just going through the cafeteria line eating because I'm starving because we just trained for a bazillion hours. Now though, I with this new bit of a worldview, I I just started really noticing how intense mm-hmm. um, it was having this food group uh, pushed on athletes. Yep.
0: By the way, I want to say this part, and I'm, I'm curious how much of this you agree with, how much you maybe disagree with, but look, we're now getting into a very personal, very close to home topic, right? When we start talking about, uh, hey folks, we think there might be a better way to eat or a more advantageous way to eat or a more humane way to eat. We're in fully personal territory here, right? Just like religion, politics, and the rest. You know, again, I don't expect you to agree with this, but I'm curious. I mean, my way of talking about people with this issue is at the end of the day, I don't expect every person to be in exactly the same place that i happen to be at and in some ways they might be way ahead of me they might be behind me whatever that kind of means the biggest thing that i found just in my life that i wanted to do i just want people really thinking about this issue and being open to reevaluating their practices, right? I think that in a democratic society, that is about as much as we can really expect or demand of people. Like, listen, and and then if they come down in a slightly different place or a very different place, hey, I will respect that. I just want you to be open to doing the work and thinking through, like, why is it that you do what you do? I'll stop there. Does that, you know, because if you were like, listen, that sounds really nice and good. I'm pushing for something harder than that, right? Like, I, I'm just curious um, where you might come down.
1: Yeah, no, I agree with you. I mean, I come across that all the time, right? That question in in terms of people say, you know, how do you reach the person who doesn't want to be mm-hmm. reached and and is shut down? And I say, you don't. Mm-hmm. Like you you don't start there. Why pick the one person? Who's like so against what this idea and so up in arms and so angry. Why would you spend any energy on that person when there's millions of people that are curious and are slightly open Mm -hmm. and are kind of leaning in and just want to ask a question? Or so, I, yeah, I, I definitely learned that a long time ago. You know, I mean, I used to lead on street corners and everything. And, 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 you know, I just wait, you know, you, you figure this stuff out. And then you just at, at first as an activist, you know, you just start It's like you want to run around and strangle people. Mm. I mean, you're just you're just pissed. You know, like how did I not know what goes on behind mm-hmm. closed doors? How how was all that hidden from me for so many years? And now that I know it, I, I want everyone to at least know what they're paying into. Like they can make their own choice on whether that's okay or not. Um, but if you see it, you'll definitely, you know, it, If unless you're a sociopath, you would not, I think anybody would agree that it's horrendous, which is why so many people go, oh my God, no, 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 don't tell me, don't show me. I don't want to know, right? Because they know that they don't want to know because then they know that there would be massive changes to their plate and, and they're fearful of that. And that's okay. I mean, I was in that space for 35 years of my mm-hmm. life, you know, a hundred percent. So I... I just think that it's so important to just, you know, love on people, give them, give them the knowledge if they're interested in it. So many people are right. It's definitely picking up in the last couple of years more than it ever was. And, 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 and people are kind of getting the memo. You know, people are starting to be really concerned that the millennials are concerned about the planet. You know, what's, what's happening. Animal agriculture is, the second largest contributor to greenhouse gas emissions right behind fossil fuels. Like it is happening and it's a big deal. And, and so because of that and because of people's health and because they want to feel better and because grandma had a heart attack or, you know, uncle had heart disease or brother has type two diabetes, you know, people are, are leaning into, Hey, is there a better way? Can I do this without drugs? can I do this without pills? Like, is food really medicine? Like, is that something that I can try and just see? So it's, it's such an open conversation now more than ever that I find it easier to just talk to people because there's more people inquiring yeah.
0: than ever before. Yeah. So let's get into this a little bit. Um, I would love to hear you talk a little bit about, you know, this focus on dairy in particular, you know, and I've, I've heard you say, you know, that you sort of think the the dairy industry is actually far worse than the meat industry. And I think some people might be like, oh, I, you know, that's a surprising claim for me to hear. Like, do you want to talk a little bit about that or like how switch for good, why it is kind of first and foremost focused on dairy?
1: Sure. Uh, you asked for it. Yeah, so, uh, I did. I mean, I, you know, it's, it's, a. Uh, we're, I mean, we're focused on dairy because that those are the, our beginnings, right? It was really, it was, it was that story that I just told. And we realized that there's a niche here, right? There's a, there's a very specific, um, marketing tactic by the dairy industry to use athletes. There's not by the meat industry. I mean, you know, fast food sometimes is used like Michael Jordan and, you know, back in the day, but they don't even use them anymore because no athlete's going to sign up to, you know, for McDonald's. Uh, You know, it's, that's not really happening anymore. Like it was in the 80s and 90s because they're like, no, that's not what I put in my body. So really that's why, but, you know, as, as a, just from the crux of it, to me, I mean, there's a lot of sadistic, sick and sadistic practices inside of animal agriculture. Uh, to me, dairy is 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 probably the worst. So if you have a, a beef cow or you have a uh, pork, uh, those animals are killed at about six months. So they are uh, bred uh, and they are raised in just complete squalor and misery, but they're 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 killed at about six months, and and that's and and that's that. No, nobody really realizes. I think that's one thing about animal agriculture that people are surprised to learn. Uh, everybody's like, oh, veal is just terribly cruel. All of the animals you're eating are babies. You're eating beef cattle somewhere between six and ten months. You're eating pork at five to six months, and you're eating chicken at about sixteen weeks. So you're. We're, all you're eating is babies. You're not eating adults, <laughs> animals, period, end of story. The dairy industry, uh, it, I just think you have to kind of step back and think about, okay, if they are going to be profitable, they're going to make this profit off of what they're farming, which is what they're in the business for. If the, if, if the dairy calves were drinking the milk, then that would not be a profitable industry, right? No, because the milk is for human beings if we're going to make a profit. Okay, so you just have to sort of think of it as all right. That's oh gosh, okay, what's happening there? So it's pretty simple. Dairy cows are uh, forcibly against their will impregnated, which is obviously animal agriculture as a whole, right? Every you have to have an impregnated, you know, mother beef cow and a mother swine, and I mean, you know, so that's uh, if you have ever seen it done, uh, it's it's pretty horrifying uh, what they do to them. so that happens. Dairy cows are cows, not just dairy, all cows. Uh, they carry their babies for nine months just like humans do. So they have, you know, they're pregnant a long time. They give birth without any pain relief. Any mother out there who's given birth uh, just that, that you know, not a lot of people do it completely naturally. I don't have any children, but <laughs> it's it's really, really painful. Um, they give birth, and uh, on all, I will say, 98% of dairy farms, I never want to say 100%, I'm sure there's some dairy farm out there that has two cows and they produce a little bit of milk for the farmer's market. But the, the, the commercial milk that you're buying in restaurants and in the grocery store, those dairy cows um, have had their babies drug away from them within 24 to 48 hours. They allow the babies to eat the colostrum while the mother is licking them clean. They are drug away from her to then go into sheds for veal or to go back into the industry or sometimes just slaughtered because they're not needed. Calves are a byproduct of the dairy industry. They don't need them. They, they, they can't have them because they're going to drink the milk of the mother. So then the mother cow goes into milking sheds and lives uh, you know, pretty horrifying existence, lots of mastitis and infections uh, that are not taken care of. And is is milked until they can't get any more milk out of her while she is still lactating. They forcibly impregnate her again, and she goes through another cycle. So, can you imagine the hormone onslaught of that experience of? having been in hormone rage because you'd have just given birth. Any mother that I know that has just given birth, it's like a wild hormone ride for a while there. She's having all of those emotional experiences. Her baby's been stolen from her. She's constantly trying to find them, figure out where they are, be with them, nurture them, take care of them. Can't do that. Then they impregnate her again. So now she has pregnant hormones. So that's all in your milk, folks, about 15 sex hormones, natural sex hormones are, are in a glass of milk. So when guys are worried about soy giving them boobs, that's uh, just just think about the, the, the 15 sex hormones in your in your dairy milk. And so that is a cycle that a mother dairy cow will go f- through for about four or five years until she no longer becomes profitable from the industry. And then they kill her. Dairy cows are your McDonald's hamburgers. Um, that's your cheap meat because they don't taste good anymore because they've been through such, you know, their bodies have been through so much. So they're not, it's not tender and you know whatever, all the pe- things people expect in their meat. Um, so yeah, that's, uh, it, it just, it, as a feminist, uh, as a womanist, I I have immense problems, uh, with forcibly impregnating any living being against their will. Um, and then to, to, you know, to remove, I, I think babies and moms belong together in all species and for a food group that we consider, you know, society considers a food group. I don't consider it a food group for humans. We're not milking our dogs. We're not milking, you know, and if you really want to be economical, well, it would just be much easier. Get a dog get them, preg- you know, forcibly impregnate them, let them have puppies, kill the puppies and milk the dog, which sounds fucking insane yeah. to people, right? Like, what did she just say? Yeah. What, what's, there's zero difference between what you're buying in the store and doing that to. Um, and then you'd have free milk, right? You'd have it, you'd have it right there. You can get a big dog if you want to so have lots of milk. Um, but it, there's, there's so many things with that process that are wrong. And again, like I was saying, for a food group that we don't need, and is killing us. <laughs> I mean, there's, there's absolutely zero need for it. And you get all the nutrients that dairy industry likes to sell you that's in milk. Of course, it's in milk. It's breast milk. It's for a growing baby. So yes, there's nutrients in it, but you can get them all in, in, other, in other sources. So um, we're, we're basically, the, you know, we have this industry and there's no reason for it because we don't need this.
0: Well said. Well articulated and to to bring it back i think it is really interesting what you said that it was like when you 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 talked about this a while back but like when cuz i did find it frankly a little bit interesting i was like why why dairy why is that mm-hmm. kind of becoming the target here as opposed to sort of the whole meat industry in general and you saying the way that athletes are still being used as marketing devices to perpetuate this idea that if you wanna be if you wanna be an optimal performer, which we all do, you gotta go this path. And for you, as an Olympian, to be like, hang on a sec, you know, that actually makes a ton of sense. And and um it is one of the things that I really appreciate in the movie The Game Changers. There, you know, Schwarzenegger talks about this as well, just the the marketing tactics. Mm-hmm. And um You know, I don't blame companies for trying to market products, but I also very much believe that it is our job as potential consumers to evaluate and try to understand the marketing that's happening in any industry about any product.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's good to, it's really good for us to look behind closed doors you know about what's what's on our plate what's in our bodies what we're buying what we're consuming what's happening and i understand that it's a bit overwhelming i mean you know if if you if you can you know people life's hard enough (laughs) like we don't really want you know it's it's a lot because it's a lot i mean fast fashion is a major problem for our environment Mm -hmm. and for, you know, child labor. And I mean, the list literally goes on in our modern world, you know? So it's, I think, I think people, um, you know, need to ask more questions, but it's like, you know, don't go so far down the rabbit hole in like one hour or one day or one week because it is really overwhelming. And I think it's important to find the empowering aspects out of Thinking critically, you know, so going back to the planet, if you were to say, Hey, you know what? I'm not going plant based 100%, that's insane, right? You're just not feeling it. Okay, cool. But I want to try it once a day or one meal a day or one meal a day or one day a week yeah. or something like that. Um, it's really empowering, I think, to be taking a step forward for the planet um, in, a, in, in a meal. It, all, what's on your plate matters and it makes a difference. And if you don't think it, it does, you're, you're wrong. It, it is a step. And as you take that step, you'll probably take more steps. You'll probably share with people who will take more steps and it will have a big ripple effect, you know, in, in terms of fossil fuels, right. Which are right ahead of animal agriculture in, in, um, uh, you know, GSGs it's GSE, sorry. It's, really i don't know what to do on a daily basis about fighting fossil fuels i mean obviously i can you know sign petitions and i can picket and there's there's things that i could do uh randomly once a month or something but i there's no way to fight that industry you know at every meal mm-hmm. and that's what's so cool right. about you know right it's it's it, i i find it really empowering for people just to even make one change you know just change one thing out it's like yeah all right that that matters
0: talk to us a little bit about what Switch for Good is up to right now?
1: Yes. Well, interestingly enough, we have our biggest campaign of the year is launching Monday, July sixth. So we've f- what was going to be a campaign leading into the Olympic Games, but then everything changed in our world in early March, right? And and so many things uh, were flipped on its head. So we filmed three. What I think are are really powerful PSAs with eight of the world's best athletes. We have a baseball player and NFL NFL player, hockey player, and 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 multiple Olymp- Olympians in the spots, um, and they are starting to run on NBC. Uh, and on different and in different radio markets and then also on streaming channels July 6 and they will run for a couple of months uh, so it, it's a it's a big education campaign it's a big brand awareness campaign it is a, is a campaign that will you know hopefully spark a lot of people to, to ask more questions like we're talking about come to switch for good learn learn the science learn the health and 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 learn how they can better their performance not just as an athlete but just everyday output you know everybody's just trying to most people, are just trying to be the best version of, of themselves in whatever they're doing, whether it's being a great mother or uh, great at business or a great artist or a great politician or whatever you're doing. So, um, so that, and then in the midst of all that, we are uh, fighting the dietary guidelines to get um, dairy removed, which is uh, part of our policy work. Um, we are. We also have a research arm at Switch for Good. Um, we're doing research in the fall that looks at the Uh, inflammatory effects of high-fat cow's milk versus high-fat soy milk. We did a a pilot study last year. Um, So we have a a research aspect what we're doing, and we have a really big uh, comprehensive scientific review report that's actually uh, going to be released in early August Mm -hmm. um, that takes a really in-depth look at uh, the history uh, of milk, marketing, uh, the tactics that they've used, and then it is a deep dive into uh, milk as it affects health and performance and long-term ill effects um, on health and performance. It's written by six mds and two dietitians. so that's going to be something that goes out to media of course but it is going to be also delivered to every performance director of every major ball sports team in the states and um uh, uh many many athletic directors in uh, colleges universities and high schools where you know milk and j- built with chocolate milk specifically is um you know, peddling their product, uh, in those programs, <laughs> pretty, pretty in depth. They spent, the milk industry spent $90 million last year alone on marketing. Um, so yes, we are up against <laughs> a giant cause we do not have 90 million. Um, and, uh, so yeah, it's, it's going to take, it's going to take some time, but that's kind of, you know, what we have going on this summer. It's a lot. It, it is my team would, would would yes they would mirror what you just yeah. said.
0: Um, and where do you think we are on the curvature here? I mean, has the acceleration already started here, like in a significant way, in terms of say elite collegiate programs? our professional leagues, or are you like, no, not, not yet, not to not, I wouldn't, I don't want to say we're already on the kind of acceleration. We are still working hard to try to get there. Um, What would you say about that kind of trajectory?
1: Well, just, I mean, the American public in general, I mean, we know that 50% of American adults buy a plant-based milk versus a dairy milk. So that's huge. And plant-based Product sales were up 26% this year in the first quarter versus last. Um, so, it, you know, people are definitely getting the memo and educating themselves and leaning into more plants. From a perspective of, of you know, university and pro sports, you know, I think we we started a program with the LA Clippers, like you know, last fall before coronavirus, when we could actually go there and 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 their performance director D Brown, who you know anybody hell yeah, hell yeah. that um, followed in the eighties and nineties, know he has he's the Reebok That's pump right. guy, right? When he used to like pump yep. up his shoes. Um, he's on a plant based diet, and 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 he got a hold of of us at Switch for Good last fall and was like, come in here and you know teach this to the players. Um, and so we went in there and, and, and did that. And it's, you know, it's, it's definitely, definitely takes somebody from within to, you know, want to learn a new way or want to learn an alternative way, you know, and especially, you know, you know, we haven't even talked about lactose intolerance, but 65% of the world's population is the side effects of lactose intolerance are pretty nasty, right? Everything from exacerbating breathing problems and asthma to, you know, dry cough to stuffy nose to major gastrointestinal issues, cramping, diarrhea, bloating, constipation. I mean, it's pretty, it's pretty nasty. And it is much, much higher uh, and disproportionately affects people of color. So, people of African descent are 86% intolerant, Latino descent about 75. Asian are about 98% completely lactose intolerant. You look back at their history and they, you know, they've been milking cows very long or drinking very, very long. So, um, so because of that, uh, you know, the, the, the Clippers, they, they they're, they're all black. They have one white yep. guy, which means their entire team is 86% of that team, uh, is, 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 are having issues from ingesting dairy. And of course you're going to produce a better performance. If you are breathing better, if you're not on the toilet for 45 minutes before each game, if you're not on the toilet after the game in just in gut distress, I mean, you know, just the simply, we're not even talking about, you know, true performance in terms of the inflammatory effects of dairy. We're just talking about, you know, eating food that you can't digest. And and having those side effects, so you know it's it's interesting to see um, you know the different sports teams who you know have more people of color who are opening up to holy cow that is well sorry for that euphemism um, that are like this is this could be a game changer just from the 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 facts of lactose intolerance yeah you know not even getting into the rest of the health science around dairy and how bad it is for us
0: and by the way I did not know the d brown part of that story but what i did know is chris paul has become a big advocate and chris mm-hmm. was at this the clippers i mean i it, i think they got the timeline right i mean chris was with the clippers it's got to be he must have been hearing this i don't know if that was the impetus for him but um
1: yeah that's a great question i don't know either
0: and you know but um and then there's also you know john sally um has also become um, he was actually one oh, of the yeah. first people I knew of, kind of a former NBA player that was talking about this. And it's always just so interesting. I remember when I first learned, like, John Sally's in. Got it. Interesting. And then, you know, after that, it was like Chris Paul's in. And you telling me that Dee Brown is yeah. in. It's it's really— And
1: Kyrie Irving.
0: And I didn't see—I didn't know that.
1: Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of them. There's quite a few, actually, in the NBA um, some of them are big supporters of you know beyond meat, yep. that yeah, whole yeah, movement. So it's yeah.
0: just really interesting to see the developments and and um, I mean we could have an entire you know hundred hour long conversation about some of the performance elements um, and and you know but uh, that's a whole different that's a kind of we've touched on some of that but uh, it's just really interesting to see um, how things are currently. Mm-hmm developing what we're going to learn uh, from just straight up science in the next year to two to 10 to 20 years. And, um, you know, and look, I, 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 understand there are still I, I always in having these conversations, you know, there are those folks on the keto diet, there are folks that are, you know, operating on sort of like, Not the kind of factory farm meat that we have mostly been talking about, but like there are definitely some people performing at a very high level. Um, Frankly, they don't talk so much about dairy, right? Um, They talk about kind of like ethically hunted meat in some ways. That's a, that's again, another different topic. So I do think it's possible for certain individuals to operate at a peak level on different diets but what we're kind of talking about is, I think right now, showing and doing the scientific work about some of the, you know, some of the problems, um, and you've just laid out well, like the lactose intolerance stuff. And I think we're still at a point, we just need to get more information on more people's radar.
1: Yeah, because I think it's more, the conversation is is more that there's there's people performing on all different types of, of food. Yeah. I, you know, I want to see the keto people's hearts and arteries in 20 yeah. years. yeah but nonetheless right now right or whatever there um but the point i think is more and really was the point of the game changers is that if you do desire yeah. to not eat any more animal pro- products it is not only possible for you to thrive and perform at your peak you could be better than you ever thought you could be and 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 it's just that knowledge yep. You know, it is possible because I get that all the time. Well, you don't know if you would have won a medal if you'd mm, been eating meat. Mm-hmm. Oh, of course I don't. Mm-hmm. Of course I don't. I would never know that. But I do know the gains that I made on a plant based diet. So the point is that that is possible. Yep. It is all because, really, right? Because we have been just, you know, our minds have been so twisted by um, meat and dairy for so many years. As we well know, most people think that protein can only come and should only come in the form of animal, right? Right, Like that's the only place you can get protein, right? Which is obviously ridiculous and untrue. Um, but that's, you know, that's what the public, uh, general public consciousness believe. So that was, you know, this film just kind of saying, Hey, wait a minute. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, you know, there, there is another way and you can thrive.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Dotsy, what are the best Places for people to follow along with the work that is happening at Switch for Good.
1: If you do have a desire to understand more of the science behind what we're talking about, because I, I personally find it fascinating, yeah. if you go to switchforgood.org and it's switch the number for yeah. good.org, um, uh, right there in the menu is why ditch dairy? Super simple. Uh, and there are four reasons, which happen to be our four in the, in the four and switch for good and it's health performance, planetary responsibility and food justice, which we talked about a little bit, um, how dairy disproportionately affects people of color. So, um, but if people click on enhanced performance, uh, you're going to have all of that science that we didn't get to go over you and I in understanding how, uh, dairy and animal foods negatively affect performance and the, and the power of plants. So go there and 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 dig into the science if you want. Um, but as far as like our current campaigns, you know, definitely just staying tuned to our social media is probably best. So we're we're switched for good everywhere um, on Instagram, Facebook, um, Twitter. We're switched for good org. Okay. Um, cause somebody took switch for Good, and it, of course is doing nothing with yeah. it, but well let us yeah. have it. So, uh, yeah, so that, those that's probably the best place to stay. Like, you know, just right up to the minute on things that we have going on.
0: I want to let you get going. I am really grateful for this conversation and, uh, I really, really admire not just the work you're doing, but how you're going about it.
1: Oh, I really appreciate the support and, and for having me on and, and for not being afraid to go deep. I really appreciate
0: that. <laughs> that You could say a lot of things about what we do at Blister, but uh, a fear of going deep is probably not one of the things we would often be accused of. So, um, By the way, we also didn't talk about your podcast. So people, you're doing a podcast. Welcome to the podcasting world. Yeah,
1: so fun. Yeah, we've been on about a year and i co-host the switch for good podcast uh, alongside alexandra paul uh, who a lot of people know from all the her years on baywatch <laughs> uh, but she's also you have to mention that like the red yeah she's amazing i, I could never have run around in that red suit for for that long but uh, she's she um uh, yeah, she is a just extraordinary. Longtime animal activist, mm. also a, a certified health coach, and we, yeah, we just take people on a journey mm. of, of of switching right under. And we have you know doctors and dietitians and amazing athletes and and just people doing cool stuff in the space, and and so they can tune into that. We we vid- record audio and video, so it's you know you can find them on the YouTube channel or you could just find them on your favorite podcaster. Great,
0: great Switch for Good podcast. Yeah, Yeah, thank you. Dotsy, I'll let you get going. Thank you. I hope our paths cross down the line. We're, we're going to either get you to Crested Butte or I'll get out to California. We'll do some mountain biking together.
1: Get out here and mountain bike. I can't breathe <laughs> in Crested Butte, so you're going to have to come here. All right, fair. <laughs> I have this limit. Like, I can't go above 7,000 feet right. <laughs> and nothing works in any of my part of my body.
0: Fair enough. Um, well, I look forward to uh, talking again at some point down the line. And um, yeah, thanks. Me too. Thanks again for everything you're doing.
1: Yes, thank you very much.
0: That's it for this edition of the Blister podcast. Thanks so much to Dotsie for the conversation. Thanks to Jared Farley for producing this episode. And thanks to you for listening. Now, please take good care of yourself and everybody else. And we will talk to you again next week.